0: Welcome to the Crazy Might Work podcast, where we celebrate authors, entrepreneurs, innovators, inventors, and scientists who live at the very frontiers of human consciousness and possibility. We discuss their moments of breakthrough and analyze the strategies they use to enhance their own thinking and challenge conventional wisdom. Our guest today is a world-leading expert in leadership and building high-performance teams. He is here to tell us how we can be better leaders by mastering the ability to shift social context. He is the author of How NASA Builds Teams and former director of NASA's astrophysics division. He launched and then repaired the Hubble telescope, which has given humanity an eye on the universe that previous generations would never have dreamed possible. NASA awarded him a very unusual second Outstanding Leadership Medal, and he was awarded the Distinguished Service Medal, which is only awarded when the contribution is so extraordinary that other forms of recognition would be inadequate. He received Presidential Rank Awards from Ronald Reagan and from Bill Clinton for sustained superior accomplishment. Please join me in welcoming the person that has changed the course of NASA's culture more than any other, Charlie Pellerin.
1: Thank you. You
0: mentioned just at, at the start of that Charlie, um, something about, um, storylines and, and, um, you differentiate between red and green storylines. What, yeah. what is the difference?
1: So this, this is another case of something that I picked up, uh, sort of studying psychology and made it simpler. It's cognitive psychology. So the 4d system has emotions on one side, thoughts on the other, Psychology breaks up the same way. Freudian psychology, it's about emotions, typically repressed emotions. Cognitive psychology, it's about thoughts. So here, the storyline was a, a word that I made up to, 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 for this. So here's, here's the thing. A, a story is something you tell with informing or more often trying to persuade someone. Storyline is something that you're trying to use that way but if it's arguable, it is not the truth. I'm going to define the storyline as that which is unarguable. 99% of what we generate in our brain and, and influence us are storylines, and they're arguable by, by some other person. The, I, and so I'm interested in storylines that take us forward into resolving the situation. I call those green storylines. And since storylines are arguable, you can switch them. So you look at a storyline and ask ask does it take me to where I want to go, and if it doesn't, you change it, and that will then turn change your emotional state. So is that is that enough on that? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks, thanks for that, Charlie. I was just thinking about um, the the example that you give. It's it's almost a um, an address of your own around the, the Hubble mission failure, uh, where you know there were some of those. Uh, I suppose, red storylines uh, running in, in the astronomical society and and just uh, how, the way that you addressed that uh, with so, that, so that was, talk that you gave.
1: So so um, one of my scientists came in to see me after the mirror flaw was discovered. And he said the astronomy community is ripping themselves apart. They're hype-writing hate mail to each other. It's really bad out there. Can you do something? And so I thought, well, there's going to be a meeting of the American Astronomical Society in Philadelphia in a couple of weeks. So I called up the chairman and they said, we don't have any open slots. I can't take something away from a science. It's a research meeting, basically, but we'll set you up for Thursday night starting at 6. And I don't know how many people will come, but the posters on the wall. You're coming to talk about the mirror flaw. So." that job had a lot of demand on as you might expect. So the first time I got to think about this, I'm riding on the train from Philadelphia, I mean to Washington to Philadelphia. And I thought, what's going on here? And I said, what this is about is this is about a loss. And the astronomers as scientists are probably never anybody explained to them how you move through losses. And the only thing that works is to mourn them. So I, I walked into the room, and as I'm, I got there about half hour early, the room's filling up, all the seats are taken, the room's as big as it can be, people are standing in the aisles, 800 people. So I walk up to the podium, and I said, Hubble Space Telescope is, is about losses. It's about loss for me, of loss of my personal reputation, my team's reputation, NASA's reputation, Even the US's reputation, because it's an international mission, there's lots of international contributions, but the losses for you might even be greater. I looked around the room and said, probably a lot of you are living on soft money. That's money from grants for your salaries. And you'd counted on this big Hubble grants program to uh, to fund those. That's going away. We're not going to have that level of funding since there's no data. And even more tragically, I see lots of young faces in here, and I know from the size of the grants program that I have put in the budget, there are a lot of people who are counting on Hubble data to do your PhD thesis. So you're going to lose your opportunity to get a PhD this way and the funding for your tuition and all these other things. And so the only way I know to move through losses is to mourn them. So I want to just get very still and, and put your head down. And let yourself feel the magnitude of the loss. So I just stayed there for what seemed like a a very long time, uh, probably a minute or two, you know, and the room's filling up with crying astronomers. So um, I, I said, okay, so go home and complete the mourning process in whatever way you need to, but complete it. And now I'm going to tell you about my commitment to find a plan to fix the telescope. So I go back on the late train that night. Next day, my scientist comes into the office and says, I don't know what you did. It's all quiet. All the recriminations are gone. All the hatred's gone. All the anger's gone. I, said, I just taught him how to move through losses.
0: Charlie, what what I love about, um, about your book is just uh, it's full of... Just practical wisdom, you know, that uh, doesn't require a great imagination to put into into practice. And one of those examples that uh, came up as you were talking now is, is just around that idea of reframing waiting. And and uh, I think you mentioned <laughs> right, a couple sorry, of other shift. team <laughs> team behaviors, you know. But but these are the things that we actually uh, wrestle with in the day day But I'd love it if you could elaborate a little on that.
1: Yeah. So um, one of the I'm an experimental physicist. And so uh, I was doing, I've been doing workshops uh, mostly in the US early on, later overseas, maybe once every month or two for, from about, uh, well, 1995 to, to the time I wrote the book, 2008. And so I I do the same thing as an experimental physicist would do with a science experiment. I, I put something out there in the workshop that seems to make sense. Then I wait for feedback from people. And uh, and so I, th- th- this one has an enormous amount of positive feedback. By, by the way, the, the one about the Hubble story is kind of interesting, too. I got a, a very moving email after a workshop. A woman said, you know, my uh, children and I have never gotten over the fact that their father deserted us. And we sat down last Saturday and mourned the loss of him and what he did to us. And for the first time, we're past it. But the other one is the storyline if you find yourself caught in traffic, and trust me, and I I do a lot of work in California, and that, that's that that's a big issue for people. The the 405 freeway, I've been on there stopped dead at three in the morning. Don't ask me what I was doing out that late, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> so um so, 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 uh, uh and, and so I said when you find yourself in traffic, the the, the storyline of being angry about it. Instead, run a storyline that this is a chance you're alone in the car. You can listen to the radio, whatever you want. You go into the doctor's office and they make you wait. Now, why, why we have waiting rooms for doctors, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense, but that's another, another thing. And so you can easily get aggravated when you're sitting there in the waiting room. Instead, think about this. It's a nice chance you can read a book. You can just have some time off. You can relax. You can just sort of think about things. And so people report these storyline shifts really work for them. And it's 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 it all I, I think the thing that I like about what I like about my work is that it's mostly grounded in direct experience. It's not just imagination stuff that a lot of people do. So uh, storyline shifts are, are powerful. So um will give you an example of management of state of being with this. It, it takes it through the whole process. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm doing a workshop in China and um, I, I used to allow questions from the floor, and the Chinese love to ask questions. They're they're most inquisitive people I know. So somebody asked me a question I'd already answered twice before, and I didn't have a third way to explain it. And you know, i just like, okay, I, I I don't know what to say. So I, I looked at the guy and began to feel myself getting upset. And I said, I understand the problem. You're playing with your phone. It's a big problem with cell phones in China. That uh, They're addicted more even than here. So I run the storyline that, that he didn't hear me the first two times because he's playing with his phone. So I go back to the hotel, at the end of the day, I go back to the hotel, and sit down, get a glass of wine, and said, what's my state of being? I'm pissed off. That tells me I'm in a drama state. Which one am I in? I'm, I'm in blamer. I'm blaming him for the fact that he made me look bad because I couldn't provide his explanation." So what was the storyline in play? The storyline in play was I explained this quite eloquently, and he's playing with his phone. What is the evidence for that? There's none. I never saw him playing with his phone. That's completely made up in my mind. So shift the storyline out of that to what is my proper, what, what's really going on here? And so I changed, I changed the storyline to he's trying to learn, and it's my job here to help him learn. That shifted everything for me. I felt energized. I felt good. I went back the next morning. I said, "I've got an alternate explanation. Does this work for you?" So, so this is this is this little how simple this is. I mean, this is something that uh, you know a ten-year-old a, a could understand. I think. And 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 what's it like to deal with your stress this way? What's going on? How am I feeling? If I feel lousy, I'm in a drama state. It's a diagnostic. What's the storyline powering it? Shift the thought, change the emotion, get into a good place and move out of drama into what I call responsibility, the ability to respond to what's happening. So that's, that's a really fun thing for me in this work.
0: Charlie, one of, one of the things that makes that uh, 4D system so memorable is the is the, the color coding that, that you you introduced. And in your book, there's almost a subplot that, that runs about your own personal evolution, um, moving from what you would call or term a, a blue leader uh, to something else. And I, I just wondered if you could describe that for us, but also just what is a, a blue or an orange leader and, and how common yes. are those kinds of profiles?
1: So, so... If- for years, I tried to get people to refer to these by their names, and I called the, the, what's now, I call it cultivating, including, visioning, and uh, uh, organizing. I, they wouldn't do it. I tried everything. I, I tried giving out little prizes and things, nothing, again, <clears> back to the experimental stuff. They'd still call it upper left, lower right, this kind of thing. So one day I said, why don't I associate colors with these? So let's take the cultivating. The part about valuing people. Well, when you value people, appreciate them, they grow. So let's call that green. The yellow, the the the, the relating piece. I, I had other uses for the primary colors, so I, I wanted to stay with primary colors. So I just put yellow there, and if you want to remember it, you can think of a, a yellow flower attracting an insect. This is about relationship. The blue was easy. Blue sky thinking. Okay. And then the, the orange was about organization. And um, so, so I, 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 the way to remember that is the way the orange sun organizes the solar system. Now, in China, red's a good color. So in, I did a lot, a lot of work in China. I was over there two months a year for 10 years and put thousands of people. So they said, why don't, why don't you color it red? And I said, well, red is not a good color in the West. It's a good color in the East. But I, my wife and I understand the power of red, so when I do workshops, I always wear red underpants for the power. So, so the next morning, this is a 300 people in the room. Next morning, start the morning, my translator comes up and she says, "You know, they want to see the red underpants." And I said, "What are you kidding me?" So I thought, <laughs> "Well, what can it hurt?" So I, I turned around and I pulled down my pants and showed side so my red underpants. What I forgot was that with 300 people in the room, there's 300 video cameras. So I went live on WeChat <laughs> that night. So in China, no one's gonna remember me for Hubble or the 4D system. They're gonna remember me as the foreigner with the red underpants. Anyway, that's that's how the the colors came along. So I I I for much of my life, I was confused about my capacity to do physics. And the reason was that I'm very, very strong when it gets to the conceptual part. When it's conceptually difficult, that's easy for me. When it involves the details, I don't do well. I, I get the wrong numbers of C in an equation. C is the speed of light. If you get the wrong numbers with C, you're off by 10 to the 20th power or something. So, so, so I wondered what my deficiency was until I read a book called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance that talked about the intuitor, that started this work. So I am an overdone intuitor, which is the top label on the diagram. I'm a logical decider, I'm happy being a physicist, and blue is my strength. The way the thing works is the diagonal is your weakness. Why is that? If I most care about what's what's, uh, intuited and logical, I care least about what's emotional and sensed. The yellow is difficult for me. I struggled with it. Uh, I had a supervisor that I was very close friends with, and uh, we were doing an annual performance appraisal. And he said, Charlie, you would do better if you could learn to suffer fools gladly. So I took that and said, (laughs) the yellow, I got to do something about this. So I made a concerted effort to, to be more relational, to be more careful how I spoke to people. And that improved my life and effectiveness pretty dramatically. The interesting thing for me is I am an overdone intuitor. That's, that's my strong function. And that takes me over to the green, which is about developing people. So that is why I like to develop intellectual material and then bring it to people in workshops. It meets my two biggest functions. The orange I can do okay, the yellow to this day is is challenging. So we we have a, just one example of this. We, when before the house burned down, we had seven houses in our neighborhood and the people would get together for these parties. I hated these parties. Uh, these are people that I have nothing else in common with, except we live on the same street. Uh, I don't, my wife and I are both blues. We do everything we can to uh, avoid going to these things, even to the point uh, if they're scheduled in advance. We'll take a trip someplace. We'll go to Europe to avoid the neighborhood party because they stand around for four hours and talk with people that I have no shared interest with about anything except the the street is something we don't like to do. But What's interesting about the dynamic here of human needs is that one year I learned there's a party scheduled and we didn't get an invitation. The inclusion need is so strong that I got angry about not being invited to something I didn't want to go to. So (laughs) finally, I called up the person that was supposedly having the party and I said, I hear you're having a party. They said, Yeah, we put your invitation in your newspaper box. We don't look in the newspaper box anymore. So what fascinates me is that this need for something that I don't like, can't stand, the need is still there to feel included, was so powerful. And by the way, now that had, now that I had done that, I had no way out. I couldn't not go. So <laughs>